It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I have learned the hard way that one should never, ever try to debate Dr. Murray Sabrin. I have uh, uh, seen Murray Sabrin debate economic issues. I've seen him debate cultural issues. I've seen him debate political issues. One of the things that I don't know that I've ever seen is him get is anybody get the better of him in a debate he is a brilliant man an economist a retired professor of finance at Ramapo College and the author of several books including the most recent from immigrant to public intellectual an american story Murray, I guess you're not really, um, you know, big on humility by calling yourself a public intellectual in the title of your latest memoir. Well, it was, it was the. I, thank you, Frank, for inviting me. It's always great to be with you, to speak with one of the most uh, articulate, intelligent talk show hosts in America. And I mean that sincerely. I'm not I'm not here to <laughs> to. Uh, to do anything but to, to tell the truth, which I've been doing all my life. And so uh, the title really came from the publisher and some uh, other okay. people who mm-hmm. looked at the manuscript and uh, they said, uh, this is what your life was about. You came here as an immigrant in 1949 and uh, you worked your way through school and uh, got a PhD and then started writing and uh, expounding how libertarianism can address the problems facing the country. Let me work backwards. Uh, You cover basically in this book from your birth up until the present day. But let me uh, kind of work backwards. A lot of people in the New York, New Jersey area may remember you from your runs for statewide office as both a libertarian and a uh, sort of libertarian oriented Republican. These days, you are a Florida resident. We're going to talk a little bit about immigration to the United States. But tell me about your migration to the state of Florida. What led you to move to the state of Florida? Why did you leave New Jersey after spending so much time living there, working there and running for office? there? Well, uh, actually, it has to do with the weather. As you age, Frank, uh, which uh, many people do, uh, the cold weather really becomes problematic uh, in uh, December, January, and February. And my wife and I decided that Florida would probably be the best place for us to be. Her sister uh, her sister has lived in Florida for about two decades, and unfortunately, her house was wiped out during the hurricane where she lived on Sanibel. So fortunately, she's okay with her three little puppies. And um, we, we came down here right before COVID in January of 2020, scouted out the Fort Myers area, and uh, moved down here in, Jan- in June of uh, 2021. And uh, after living there for a while, we decided to move to Naples, and uh, we've been in Naples for the past two months. How are you liking it down there? It's terrific, Frank. I mean, everything is literally a stone throws away. All the major shopping that we had in New Jersey is down here. And instead of bucking the traffic on Route 4 and 17 in Paramus, uh, we literally are five, ten minutes away from all the places that we would shop in New Jersey. In addition, another factor that uh, entered our calculus is that there's no state income tax, which really makes it a lot easier in terms of having to file another tax return 
not having to have all this, the state take so much money away from you, especially in retirement. And so we felt that uh, with all the variables in our lives now mm. uh, at this stage in our uh, life cycle, that the Florida would be the ideal place for us to be. You tell some great stories in this book, and uh, I'm going to ask you to touch upon a few of them and how it's informed your positions on a bunch of different policy areas that you've spent a great deal of time thinking about and writing about over the years. But give folks an idea of your family history. Your parents were Holocaust survivors. They're the only ones in their family, uh, families to survive the Holocaust. My father was a partisan commander from 1940, the summer of 43 to the summer of 44 when the Russian army uh, liberated his part of Poland. And so the war was effectively over for him in, in July of 1944. And he wrote a memoir, um, I guess, in the uh, late 1990s about his experiences, and it's uh, t- entitled We Dare to Live. And growing up, I would ask him about, and my mother, about their experiences during World War II, and I remember vividly what they told me of how they survived. And then in the book, when I read the, his uh, memoir about uh, his life in World War II, the last few pages had a story which he never told me when, I, when he was alive. And uh, it sent uh, chills up my spine because if he had followed through with what was asked of him by the Russian uh, that came into his uh, section of Poland, uh, he probably wouldn't have survived uh, World War II, and I, we wouldn't have the, we wouldn't have this conversation today. Wow! Tell me about your uh, family's immigration to the United States. How old were you, and uh, what was their immigration story? Well, after the war, um, uh, my parents settled in Poland. And then in 1946, when my mother was pregnant with me, uh, they moved to West Germany. Uh, I don't remember asking them why they moved to West Germany. Yes, I I do remember. My father said he was getting pressure to join the Communist Party in Poland. And um, even though uh, he had sort of left-wing leanings, he didn't want to be part of the Communist Party, so he decided to leave for West Germany, which I don't know how he pulled that off because it was pretty hard to get out of Poland at that time. So we settled into, in the West Germany in 1946. I was born in December. I've got a birthday coming up next week. And um, we lived there until uh, 1949. His uh, first I came to the United States, I believe, in 46 or 47. And his name and uh, my father's and his cousin's name was Shabrinsky. So my, his cousin anglicized it to Sabrin. And that's why uh, we're, we're the Sabrin family since 1949 in America. And uh, the reason we came to America is uh, they were thinking about where to go, Australia, Argentina, where his uncle lived, uh, Israel, uh, um, other places in uh, Europe. And they decided on, on America because his great aunt, uh, raised his mother in America at the turn of the uh, 19th, uh, 20th century. And so he wrote his great aunt, he wrote his um, cousin, and we got the papers to come to America. In other words, we went through the front door as a lot of the immigrants that you talked about in your previous segment uh, came through because that was the right thing to do. You come in, you uh, get vetted. My father was vetted in West Germany because he was involved in the partisans uh, in Poland. And uh, he told me uh, he was asked where the airfields are in Russia. And uh, he, not being a dumb man, said, well, they're they're in Moscow, they're in Minsk, they're in all the big cities. I guess he was being interrogated to find out where the secret Soviet bases were in in the Soviet Union. But he didn't know that. He was just a a partisan commander that... uh, 
fort for a year with about 230 people under his command. And um, a lot of his exploits can be found in the Holocaust Museum in, in Washington, D.C. So uh, growing up, I was curious about why I, did, why, why I didn't have any grandparents, any aunts or uncles, first cousins. And they expl- explained to me what happened. And so uh, we came to America. I think my father said he had $150 in his pocket. And a, and a watch, and, um, and and that was it. And then we settled in Lower East Side, which a lot of the Jewish immigrant families did. And uh, four years later, we moved to the Bronx. Uh, our our first apartment, uh, Frank, I will never forget it, on East 8th Street in the East Village, was a railroad apartment at $26 a month with a, to- uh, a toilet in the hallway shared by other families and a, and a tub in the, in the kitchen, no shower. And yet we survived that and moved to a beautiful four room apartment in the Bronx. Uh, my older brother and I had our own uh, room, uh, bedroom. We had a beautiful uh, kitchen uh, and a nice airy apartment. And uh, that was my experience. We never thought ourselves as poor. We never thought ourselves of entitled to end- anyone else's money. My father started working in a pencil factory at a dollar an hour. Then he went to a sheet metal factory, $3 an hour, and was part of the construction crew that helped uh, revitalize Idlewild Airport before it was renamed Kennedy Airport in the late 50s. Now we're talking with Murray Sabrin. He is an economist and the author of the new book, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, An American Story. We're going to tell you how you can get that book in uh, just a bit. But, Murray, I can't avoid uh, asking you about the hot-button issue in Washington these days, namely the Senate's immigration bills. Over the last few weeks, you have a handful of Republican and Democratic senators who've been working together to push through an immigration bill before the Republicans take control of the House. So you have... Working together, uh, Kirsten Sinema, former Democrat, now an independent, and Tom Tillis, a Republican, they've outlined a deal that would provide a path to citizenship for the two million so-called dreamers, the illegal immigrants that were brought here as children, in exchange for a pathway to citizenship and at least $25 billion of increased funding for the Border Patrol and Border Security. It would also extend Title 42 uh, for at least a year. That's a public health authority that was a health order that was used by President uh, Trump and President Biden to quickly expel migrants who come through the southern border. I'm looking at this and to me, the broad frameworks of this deal look pretty interesting. Here was Senator Dick Durbin commenting on what the Senate is doing on immigration and where they are. I believe we must pass immigration reform legislation before the end of the year. And the members of the Senate shouldn't leave home leave for home and holidays until we take a vote to reform our broken immigration system. Now, I know some people at home may be wondering why. What's the urgency? Why do it now? Well, we first may have an opportunity, and I hope we do. But it could be the last opportunity for a long time. This Cinema Tillis bill would exceed the $25 billion of security and detainment uh, detainment funds that was sought by President Trump in 2018. It would hire more officers and give big pay raises to the Border Patrol agents. What's your take on this proposed uh, Senate immigration bill? Uh, Frank, this shows you how feckless the people are in Washington, D.C., when you have what, what could be what some people have described as an invasion. I mean, if you come to Kennedy Airport uh, from uh, from overseas 
and you uh, you have to show that you have a visa to come into the United States. You have people coming in through the southern border with no health checkups, no background checks. And it just shows you how feckless the Democrats are and uh, probably a lot of Republicans as well in terms of trying to fix a problem that is a huge uh, pressure point for towns in Arizona, uh, New Mexico, uh, Texas, where they have to deal with uh, an influx of people who have no uh, means of uh, making a living at this point. They don't have the facilities to house them. And so uh, I, I'm very sympathetic to, to, to the youngsters that came here as infants, not a, uh, because they decided to do it, because their parents decided to come in, uh, not through the front door, but through the back door. And so this seems like a compromise that you expect in Washington. Uh, have something the Democrats want, have something the Republicans want, and, uh, and call it a day. But it just shows you that Washington is totally dysfunctional when they can't deal with a problem that should have been dealt with uh, years ago. And Trump, it seems, was dealing with the problem. Uh, but by, the Biden administration has been AWOL on a, uh, an issue that affects uh, millions of Americans, legal immigrants down in the southern border. And for Biden to say that he won't visit the southern border because there's more important things to do, mm. like what, going to Nantucket and going to Delaware for the weekend? I mean, th this president is so out of touch with reality. It it's just amazing. The um, decision to write a memoir here rather than another policy book, you've written a number of policy books on health care, on the Federal Reserve. We've spoken to you about various policy books you've written. Why choose to do something that was a little more introspective and tell your personal story rather than make the case for a, a policy argument? Well, after the 97 campaign, I had literally a bucket full of articles about the campaign. And my wife said, you've got to write about about the campaign because so many wonderful things happen and so many interesting things happen in politics that you don't see in the pol political science textbooks. So I really put that off for 25 years. And then when I started uh, thinking about writing it, I contacted uh, Michael Harrison, the publisher of Talkers Magazine, and he said, uh, you have a great story to tell. Why don't you tell your life story uh, until the 97 campaign or up until the 97 campaign? And he has a publishing arm called Talkers uh, Books. And I started writing the uh, the manuscript last summer, and I sent it to him, and he just loved it. He said, Murray, this is a story that has to get out to the American people because uh, here you come from humble beginnings, and you did like um, many uh, immigrants did. Uh, you saw what America, what America was, the land of opportunity, and you took that those opportunities and became a, a college professor. Uh, occasional talk show host back in the mid-90s in New Jersey, and the political candidate. So I have a resume that very few people do have in America. I guess Arnold Schwarzenegger has even a better resume as an immigrant than I do. But you, did, you, you okay. did yours without steroids. I don't know that Arnold Schwarzenegger can say the same thing. But um, I'm, and, uh, I, 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 I Go ahead. I did it with vitamins. There you uh, go. Friday. There you go. Um, and Michael Harrison is a good friend, and I, he's been very good to us over at Talker. So that's great that uh, that he published this book. You talked about that 1997 campaign and all the articles that were written and all the experiences that you had. The title that your wife suggested for your book after that 97 campaign actually became the title for Chapter 7 of your book. Tell me what the title is and, uh, and why, where that came from. Uh, when you do a campaign, Frank, as you well know, you do direct mail to a list that uh, hopefully will uh, of people who will support you financially so you can pay the bills of the campaign. 
So uh, we would always send out a self-addressed stamp envelope with it, with a with a card to fill out that uh, of who the person is and what their occupation is according to the uh, guidelines that the government sets down. And one day we get a, a return envelope with a with a form saying, "Take me off your mailing list. I'm dead." So we thought that was hilarious that someone would put that in. But of course, it cost us money for the self-addressed stamp envelope. My wife said that should be the title of your book about the campaign. And so it turned into a chapter and discussed how the campaign unfolded, which was a very short campaign from September 19th of 1997, when we were approved for the matching fund program in New Jersey till the election day. And I had to introduce myself to the people of New Jersey, and uh, I did so, I think, very well, and participated in three debates with uh, Governor Whitman and um, the Democratic candidate, uh, Senator and Mayor Jim McGreevy. Right, time. and future Governor McGreevy. So you're uh, you're one Absolutely. of the few people that could say they've debated two future governors uh, or two governors of the state of New Jersey, and I think in that campaign you actually did better than any third-party candidate in the history of the state of New Jersey. So you definitely reached some people. Uh, Murray, are you given this book away for free? Well, Kindle of uh, Amazon has the Kindle edition available for free today, Wednesday, December 14th, and Friday, December 16th. And uh, this is what uh, Amazon offers authors uh, who have a book published on Amazon, a book available on Amazon. They make the Kindle uh, uh, version free. In fact, uh, the, the, the book is priced so inexpensively that the Kindle version is practically free. It's three ninety nine if you don't get it uh, ah. for free today or, or Friday. And, and the paperback is only six ninety nine, which is incredibly uh, inexpensive for a book that I think is worth a lot more because it has so much insight about America, about the, uh, the politics of the 1960s, uh, and, of course, how I uh, changed my views on a, a lot of issues because I, I was curious about the world we live in and uh, read in, incessantly since from the 1960s till I still read today how I went from a liberal Democrat in the 1960s to a conservative Republican in the late 60s to a libertarian in, in the early 1970s. So how are you? How do you encourage people to get the book? Is Amazon the best way, uh, whether they want a hard Amazon copy? Amazon is or... the best way. Uh, you, you just click on from uh, uh, immigrant to public intellectual. Uh, the page pops up, and you can see the Kindle edition today is free. Uh, and, and on Friday, and then the paperback is only six ninety nine, which is really uh, amazing because there are books on, on Amazon that are twenty thirty dollars, and the Kindle uh, edition is uh, over ten dollars. And so uh, um, uh, the publisher, Michael Harrison, decided the American people should read this story because I think it's an inspiration to – it would be an inspiration to a lot of people. And it also talks about my personal issues in there. And if I had to sum up those personal issues, it, the book really shows uh, the resiliency, the perseverance, the um, – the good luck that I've had in my uh, life and uh, a positive mental attitude. Mm. And if you don't have a positive mental attitude, Frank, as you well know, you can get consumed in your own self-pity. Absolutely. And I've never been a person like that. And uh, the thing is to keep on forging ahead because no, no matter what adversity you face, uh, there are always better days ahead. And that's, uh, that's how my life unfolded for many, many uh, years. All right. Well, we're going to have to have you back because uh, there's a lot that we didn't get into, including um, your views on anti-discrimination laws and the specifics of uh, being inspired by President Kennedy to sort of turning away from a lot of different aspects of Kennedyism. Maybe we could do the, a part two next week or the following week, Murray. 
That would be great, Frank. Um, we could do it on my birthday. It's next week. Hey, let, let's uh, let's shoot for that. Uh, best of luck with the book. If people want to read it, is available on Amazon. They could just search Murray Sabrin. That's S A B R I N. The title is From Immigrant to Public Intellectual. Thanks, Murray. Thanks, Frank. Always a pleasure to be with you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call at uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.